มาสัมบุตตสนะโมตัสสะบาวาโทอะระหะโทสมมาสัมบุตตสะอาภารุทาเดสังอมทัสตาวราเยสรวันทาบมุนจันทุสัทังเ
of this presence, pure presence, here and now. Because we, the, the world that we live in, the society that we uh, live in, the cultures that we come from, the social uh, and cultural conditioning that we've acquired, all based on on the perception of the reality of time and of of uh, that we are, that I am the five khandas. goes unquestioned in most people's lives. They never question it. It's just the the uh, uh, modus operandi of of our existence. Start, I am the body and therefore I'm experiencing this and uh, this is what's happening to me and my body, my memories, my uh, feelings, my thoughts, my character, my things. my nationality, my race, my gender and all the rest is very much the built on that assumption of the identity with the five khandas, the five aggregates. So in the present, we, we're, we're, we're now not, we're not trying to analyze the five aggregates or, or just take a, an opposite view that belief that we're not the five aggregates because that doesn't really solve the problem. If you just go around believing you have no self and you're not the five aggregates, you're still uh, you're still stuck in the same place. Only it doesn't make any sense in terms of the uh, experience because if you're uh, the attachment to thought and memory is uh, definitely the, the feeling of I am. If you're just denying that you, your existence uh, on the level of just thought and belief, then it it uh, it's just it uh, leads to a kind of absurdity or a kind of nihilistic attitude. So if you're going to believe in things and attach to ideas and and. Uh, Concepts, then, then believe in good things, in, in, in I am the good, and I am wonderful, and I am pure, and I am uh, a worthy person. Uh, you might as well attach to to good perceptions of yourself if you're going to attach. But even that, the, the power of positive thinking in the and the affirmation of oneself as being good and pure uh, has a certain, it makes you feel good, but it doesn't really resolve the problem because you're still uh, operating from attachment and the sense of a self in regards to the five khanda. So, pawana is, uh, you know, cultivating with right understanding. The samaditi is the, uh, and the and the eightfold path, the fourth noble truth. Samaditi, right understanding or perfect understanding. One could translate samma as perfect, right, 
but what this implies is it's complete. Uh, it's a, it's not based on any delusion. This understanding. There's no deludedness. There's no uh, assumptions, cultural assumptions, or 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 any kind of uh, uh, hangovers from the cultural, social conditioning or the self-attitude that we uh, tend to experience life through, through the perceptions of self. Mm. So that's why for Samaditi, at first, uh, uh, we, we start, we, we say anatta or non, there is no self. And that's a kind of Samaditi in a way in terms of, of uh, a right view, but it's still it's still not perfect because it is merely a viewpoint rather than an, an understanding. So in practice we take the first noble truth, the suffering, the causes, and realize the cessation, the ending, or the absence. A cessation in Naroda, uh, the third noble truth, is the realization of non-attachment, of the ending of suffering, not the ending of everything in terms of annihilation, but in terms of experience in the present, we realize in this present moment the, what it's like to not be attached, to not be anybody, not be caught up in in views or assumptions or opinions or fears or desires in this present, in the present, here and now. So that's a real, that's reality. So we, in the Third Noble Truth, it's, uh, the, the, the insight is there is the cessation of suffering. Then uh, the second insight into the Third Noble Truth is uh, this cessation should be realized, yeah. the realization. And then the third insight is cessation has been realized. So realization is a very good word. I like that very much, the uh, English word realization. <laughs> and it does imply reality, awaken to reality the way it is. It's not an attainment. You're not like acquiring some kind of special state uh, but you're, you're, you're awake to the reality. It's a realization. It's like Dhamma, the truth. Uh, all this is here and now. It's not something that you get through uh, doing things and then acquiring some kind of attainment in the future. It's in the, the simple experience of awakeness, being here and now. And in order to sustain that awakeness, because of the deluded conditioning that we all have, we have to use a lot of panya, or wisdom, to examine our experience in the present. So, the, the Buddhist teachings are wisdom teachings, like Four Noble Truths. It's a wisdom teaching, it's not a belief. Not meant to be grasped as some kind of belief. Because it doesn't work, it's absurd if you're going to grasp the Four Noble Truths as a belief system. It, it doesn't work in that way. It has no, it tends to be rather depressing uh, as a belief system. But as, as a wisdom teaching, 
That means we we uh, we use this examination of suffering or dukkha so in my own practice over the years uh, I caught on to this very quickly uh, because uh, I I figured it out that if you uh, because of the clearness of the Buddhist teaching that it that it's something that you don't attain, and it's apparent here and now, timeless, and so forth. It that uh, you had to almost that that it was in this awakened state in the present, which I found I couldn't sustain at first. I had moments, kind of flashes of being here and now, but that, that the mind would easily get obsessed with thoughts and doubts and especially doubt a lot of doubt would enter my mind because uh, I was uh, uh, one who was obsessed with thinking an obsessed thinker but then contemplating these four noble truths over 30 years over 30 years now one you know it's like something that that just becomes clearer as you keep investigating, keep using this this paradigm and this wisdom teaching to for the experiences of life that you're having. And it is an, an ongoing challenge because we do have Sometimes it's uh, certain things are very easy to see through, but there's a lot of, of subtle emotional experiences and and virtuous qualities that we have that we still very much attach to. So even the attachment to our goodness or our virtue and our our good qualities, uh, uh, that attachment is the cause of suffering. So that's why you can be very virtuous a very good person and still still suffer a lot. People, you know, because of, of the attachment to virtuousness, to ideals, to ideas. So in monastic life, say, for example, in monastic life, it's, if we come into uh, monasticism uh, as an ideal, we attach to the ideal of it, and uh, then we suffer enormously in this life. Because uh, the ideal is uh, very high, very beautiful, very pure, very moral, very good. And, and then uh, we try to, by attachment to that ideal, then we try to make ourselves, we try to, or we compare ourselves with an ideal all the time. Or the reality of our experience in the present is always compared or what we are experiencing in the present uh, compared to the ideal is always, we always feel like a failure. We feel despair. So we have a lot of despair in this life, uh, in monastic life. So the Buddha said, contemplate despair then rather than endlessly trying to to kind of 
force yourself into fitting to into some ideal, uh, begin to uh, really work with the nitty-gritty, the stuff that you're experiencing in the present. The good and the bad, whatever it is. The mediocre, the stupid, the intelligent. Uh, it doesn't matter what, what the quality is as long as you as you use it for with wisdom. Look at it, observe it, examine uh, experience here and now with wisdom. Which means awaken to it, feel it, to really know something, to really understand something, you, you, you have to accept it for what it is. Like trying to understand something by constantly resisting it and having uh, uh, and just uh, being biased from from various biased attitudes and prejudices, then of course you you can't understand anything that way. You just form more distorted views about everything. Also, the laboratory is in the mind. You're looking, you know, like like looking at your what's going on in your heart, in your mind, in your body, uh, and so this this sense of of paying attention to what you're actually feeling, thinking, whatever it might be. So this. Pure present, this ability to pay attention in the present is transcendent. It's the ability to, like this awakenness, this uh, alertness, attentiveness, listening, in which you can, you if you if you really pay attention to the present, you know what you're feeling, or what you're thinking, or the mood of, of your mind. Or you can be aware of what's happening in your body. How it feels. Or the sensations. Pleasure and pain. Heat or cold. You can be aware of, of, of just the, the thoughts that come and go in the present. Or the, the, uh, the mood. The state of mind. So this is a, a transcendent, a knowing through transcendence, through through this attention, through paying attention, and and it's uh, also therefore it's not a judging thing. It's not it's not uh, making value judgments or moral judgments about what you're thinking or feeling, but it's observing, knowing the the observing the the nature, the changingness of these five kanda, these five aggregates. Until every subtle variation on self and attachment is seen and no longer has any power to delude. So that takes time to first the rather coarse, obvious things uh, we work through and the, as the subtler ones we don't we aren't even aware of yet. <coughs> 
But as life goes on and you and you develop, then this bhavana, this cultivation of the way with right understanding, then is the subtleties of like just assumption on various attitudes or assumptions become apparent. You can observe you know, kind of assumption that you operate from. Of the bias or the position that you take on issues or on on uh, whatever uh, uh, in the world or in religion or whatever you you're aware of it as a position because this this awareness has no it has no flavor has no gender it has no uh, cultural quality, it has no race. It's pure and it's transcendent. When we when we're actually opening to this to this awareness, when we let it operate, then in that very moment we're transcending the five khandas. In other words we're 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 able to see them in terms of what they really are. Anicca and impermanent, dukkha unsatisfactory and not uh, not self. But then the habit will go back to identi- identity again and doubt and and clinging to these. But that's why it's a it's a reminding this continuous reminding. So like life here at Amravati is a how to make life here at this place into a kind of mandala? And this, uh, this is what I've done with uh, the years living here, is uh, conver- working, making Amravati into a kind of mandala, a way of life that is a continuous reminder for me. So now we have this beautiful temple, which is a very kind of marvelous uh, physical, and obviously very prominent, outstanding sign at the center of this mandala. So mandala is is a is a the kind of diagram or a, a place or something that you. Uh, you use uh, as the cent- it always has a center to it. The axis mundi, or the bodhi tree, or the the place of perfect stillness and mindfulness. And so, like in for me, this uh, temple works very well as the, as the axis mundi, or the center of the universe, or the the bodhi tree. It's because as you realize, as you sit in here, it's very still, very quiet, and it has this kind of spaciousness. A, a grandness to it. Well, of course, the temple was built to be a temple. It wasn't not a converted uh, stately home or a, a converted warehouse or anything, is it? <laughs> it's actually designed with a with a chedi on top and and uh, all of the kind of auspicious uh, planning and and uh, thoughtfulness that went into creating this building. Is a the uh, the center of this mandala and how then the the area around this temple mm-hmm. to start 
really noticing how to use this this uh, this place called Amravati for to help you remember to be awake to not just get to not get caught up not be overwhelmed not let the momentum of desire fear emotional habits and that just take you over but to uh, have these references to to keep remembering here and now apparent here and now Santidiko Dhamma So monasteries are generally, you know, for that. They're, they're, they're you know, in their building uh, style and, and attention goes into creating a, a situation, a physical situation, to be mindful in. But not having a temple doesn't preclude mindfulness, but it means that uh, you have to really uh, develop a lot of awareness around the the things that that you are living in, the the, the people you live with, the, the 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 work that you do, the situation you're in. Then, getting life, making life, or inclining toward simplicity like monasticism is simplification isn't it? rather than a kind of ascetic renunciation make life difficult and torture ourselves with discipline celibacy and rules regulations and uh, in order to bind ourselves to to make us be good and be in control and that it's it's not meant to be like that. Not Buddhist monasticism isn't an ascetic approach, but it's a simp simplification for simplicity, makes life more simple. If you if you uh, develop it in that in, with that attitude. So simplicity is, is is very much uh, something we all long for now because our societies are very complicated. I mean, modern life is uh, so complicated, so so full of endless uh, complications and networks, uh, complicated networks, and websites, and and uh, all these things. Is much. I'm I'm an old-fashioned. Uh, simple pre-computer type uh, uh, man. What, is, what would you call that in terms of uh, some kind of like ne compared to Neanderthal and Homo sapien? This is I become. <laughs> I'm a bit of a caveman in the modern world. But this is the and modern technology, high tech, with all its kind of magic and miracles, you know, not to be despised. 
but it does uh, lead to increasing complication. And it goes on and on and on, gets more and more complicated. So now the uh, deep blue computer beat the world's best chess player the other last week. That put him in his place. You know. uh, he was really depressed, I heard. Kasparov was very depressed, humiliated by the fact that this computer beat him at chess. You know. To me, that doesn't bother me in the least. I'll leave chess to computers. It's too complicated a game. <laughs> now, simplicity is what? You know, so, coming into the temple, bowing, very simple things, just being aware of posture of the breath. Getting down to just listening to the silence. Just paying pure attention, pure, uncluttered, uninterrupted attention, sustained attention in the present, listening, that state of awareness. It's a very simple thing, very simple thing to be able to do, but it's taken a long 30 years to do it <laughs> with any great skill <laughs> because uh, uh, even though I'm a bit of a caveman I'm a very complicated caveman so wearing down the endless complications uh of thought, of emotional habit. Like living here at Amravati has been a great, great uh, kind of mirror for my emotions. Triggered off every emotion in every level, possibility, variation and permutation of emotional experience that I could possibly ever hope to have uh, living in this place is certainly uh, it's been it's exposed everything I can't imagine anything left now on the emotional plane and that that is to be able to to for me, like in what I talk about emotions, it's like the conditioning, that, that conditioning of the mind, that you, which brings up your sense of yourself and your pride, your conceit, your, your um, fears and your desires, your, your views and opinions. So living uh, here say, in, a, in, a, in a Sangha, where uh, having to deal with with so many unknown things and different people and and uh, having to be responsible having to be looked at and uh, being uh, with people's projections having feeling uh, the sense of being people endlessly projecting things onto me and me endlessly projecting things onto you and then they 
the uh, sense of uh, of wanting to look good or appear good, fear of being humiliated, looking stupid, looking uh, ridiculous, laughed at, or rejected, or despised, or uh, wanting to feel that I'm doing a, a, a good job and, and that everything's going well, or the fear or or doubt about failure and and the fact that I haven't there's so many things I should have done that I haven't or I could have done them so much better or I uh, am not there's a doubt about oneself through the capabilities of comparison with others all these uh, you know have been a part of my experience uh, living here in which the this attention to these feelings is has been uh, cultivated or used as pawana. Because that which is aware of the emotion is is transcending the emotion. The emotion is 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 full of itself. You know, it's full of oftentimes of fear or or uh, anxiety or conceit. And so it, it's full of, it, it can be very, inf- very kind of overwhelming and, and oftentimes very unpleasant. Oftentimes there's so much kind of resistance, wanting to just shut, shut it off, get rid of it. That the uh, examination of it takes a, a willingness to feel what you, what you, what your emotions are like in the present. without making any judgments about it. And as soon as you start judging your emotions about well, you shouldn't or should or this emotion is because of this person or blaming it on others or or blaming it on yourself or on your past or whatever, then it, you get caught up into, you're no longer uh, witnessing, you're caught up into it. You're denying or blaming or resisting or controlling or whatever. And, yet, and that just throws you back into that realm. And that's why this, this, uh, this form is for uh, this monastic form, the samana, is to, it's a place to observe. It's sangha. It's it's, it's samana sangha. It's a. It's an, it's we're not. It's not a personal thing anymore. It's not me. It's when we become, when I become, uh, an important bhikkhu and a teacher, and all the rest, then, then the, the sense of sangha falls away because then I, then I, uh, am back in that realm of worldly identity. Of I have a position. I'm the most senior, I'm the teacher, the spiritual director, and all the rest of Holding to these throws me back into uh, that realm again of samsara. So that's why the, the word bhikkhu, or, or this uh, idea of being a, an alms mendicant, I always like. When I became a British citizen, I, I had... Uh, I could I I could discard my Christian name in Britain, so 
So on my passport I have, my first name is Bhikkhu, my last name is Sumato. I thought this was a kind of fun because then I, he said, then what should we call you? He said, just call me by my first name, Bhikkhu. <laughs> so many people don't quite know what to do with me. Venerable is a bit of a mouthful. The venerable Sumato or, or the various uh, titles that one that one might have, but the bhikkhu is a what mean beggar or alms mendicant, one who depends on the kindness of others. So bhikkhu is uh, to me is a significant word, one I that I find more useful uh, to reflect on than say. Tanjau uh, Kun, which is pretty pretty high title, or or Ajahn, or yeah, Lumpur, or any of these other things, uh, because uh, uh, those are. I mean, I, I can use those, and I have no no objection to using them. But but as a reflection, they're not particularly helpful uh, uh, as a reminder of this of this vehicle of the. Bhikkhu, one who's dependent on on arms. So that that will reflect for me my own kind of cultural conditioning or conceit, and 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 in many ways it it uh, it uh, you know if you if I attach the idea that I'm a bhikkhu, that doesn't work either. But it's using that word as as something to reflect from, rather than thinking I am the spiritual director or something like that. That that isn't a very helpful one to reflect upon. Getting it down to the simplicity of sangha, of samana sangha. Because we're all bhikkhus, aren't we? Siladharas uh, are kind of bhikkhus too. I mean, basically, we're all bhikkhus, bhikkhunis, or whatever. It's, it's a matter of the alms mendicancy uh, and the commitment. That, so that, in terms of uh, this, you don't make too much about the the fact that of, of the conventional uh, word, but of the of the uh, the essential uh, quality of our life, what what then the simplicity of it? Uh, rather than we've got to establish bhikkhuni orders so that women have equal position to bhikkhu. That that that's getting back into the old world again of uh, of gender and equality and ideas and and that. So I mean. Not that I'm against that either. That's fine, but but it's not uh, important really uh, enough. It's not uh, to have because what's really important is the reflection on the way it is and being able to use the what we have with wisdom. So that wind wisdom is informing conscious experience rather than habit or prejudice or desire or fear. 
That's what Lung Po Cha used to emphasize. He used to always say, in consciousness, you're informing consciousness with wisdom. And uh, uh, remember, consciousness, or vijnana, is is a function. It's not it's not a cultural condition. Like the body, isn't the body's not a cultural condition. It's a it's a you know, it's a function. It's a condition in nature, and and whether and it's conditioned then after it's born into identity with a culture. Well. Consciousness is the same way as a function that you get from birth. So it's, it's not personal. It's not it's not Asian or European or male or female or anything like that. And then uh, and then the conditioning of the mind takes place. The, the memories, the identities, the, uh, with uh, with the culture, with the class, with the gender, with the race, with the ethnic background, with the uh, all the rest of the uh, uh, cultural patterns that one acquires. So informing, now, now if we don't inform or train or cultivate wisdom in daily life, then then we just operate according to the cultural conditioning we've got, we've acquired. And we know what happens then. You hear very international community. And how many misunderstandings take place just on the level of, of uh, d- a different nationality. Or the gender gap between men and women. Or the age differences. Whether it's European or Asian, or all the rest, if we these if if we if these are attention and importance, then we there's an endless kind of frustration of trying to uh, sort it all out on that level, and and uh, it's just like endlessly trying to rearrange it or make it uh, trying to make it uniform, trying to make it all the same so that. We 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 have a culture, uh, and everything is is uh, is exactly we think and feel and everything exactly the same way. Well, it's impossible, isn't it? So instead of of trying to to make all the conditions the same, which is an impossibility, then we. We take that position of the aware of the awakened mind using wisdom, which is transcending the cultural conditioning or the conditioned realm, and putting the conditioning that we have into a context of Dhamma, so that the the way we are, the characters we have, the the inclinations we we have, the 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 race, the nationality, the ethnic. Uh, the ethnicity, the gender, the all the rest is seen in terms of Dhamma. Mm-hmm. The conditioned realm is seen and accepted and understood through wisdom rather than through prefer- cultural preferences or biases. 
And so this is possible. This is within human possibility. And it's not asking us to do something that's too too high or too difficult, but it does take the determination to do it. An ongoing kind of resolution. Using the the stuff of daily life for that. So panya or wisdom is is the ability to, to is a, uh, it's not an acquisition. It's it's uh, something we use, like the Buddhist teaching, their Buddha, their wisdom teaching. So use those teachings to contemplate your experience. So it's not a matter of acquiring wisdom, but of using it. We've got. We've got the we've got the convention, the wisdom convention. Oh, now use that convention to interpret and understand the experience of this conscious of, of consciousness that we we are having in the present. The changingness of it, the the pleasure, the pain, the the neutral, the 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 mental condition. The, the state of mind, the mood, the memory, the desires, the fears. Because this reflective mind, ability to reflect and contemplate, is a transcending state. That's why you can trust it. It's a natural state, too. It's not a, a, a created one. But it's, it's, it's a natural state of being. It's not uh, an acquisition. It's just learning how to use it, how to rest in it, how to cultivate that way in daily life. So I offer this as a reflection for you this evening.